0: Dear listeners, I'm Lauren Conlin, and before you embark on this investigative journey with me, I want to offer a sincere word of my acknowledgement and gratitude. When I, as the host, first set out on this path, I was admittedly very green. I lacked the seasoned expertise and finesse that comes with experience in investigative podcasting and reporting. However, Every story has a beginning and an ending, and this podcast represents the start of my own investigative odyssey. So as you dive into these episodes, you may notice rough edges or moments where my inexperience shines through, but please know that every stumble and misstep has been a crucial part of my learning process, and I've embraced each challenge as an opportunity for growth And improvement. So I want to express my heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you who was stuck with the story despite my imperfections, because Grant's story is important. So your support and patience have been invaluable as I've navigated the complexities of investigative podcasting. And your feedback, whether constructive criticism, words of encouragement, or maybe something that wasn't so nice, has helped me and helped shape this podcast into what it is today. So without further ado, here is Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon? Selling a little
1: or a lot?
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon. So I always love starting off every week with feedback that I receive from the listeners about the episode from the prior week. So after I discussed the many strange and mysterious deaths of Grace Chapel volunteers and churchgoers, I had quite a few people send me direct messages on social media informing me of a few more abrupt deaths within that community. And I mean, there were quite a few. I was I was very surprised. And one of the young boys who died in the freak lawnmower accident, Sheriff Jeff Long was the one to confirm his tragic death. If you recall from some of my earlier episodes, Sheriff Long has been incredibly unhelpful and borderline allegedly neglectful to Angie Solomon and Gracie Solomon regarding Gracie's alleged abuse. So going back to when Gracie first reported her alleged North Carolina assault to her mother and Detective Tamika Sanders, Gracie drew a picture describing the assault, which is very common for children to be asked to do this. And I I had sent this picture to Paul Mayer Day's team at his company, Truth Unlocked. Paul is a forensic deception analyst who broke down the 911 call for us a few episodes ago. So you might recall him. He's fantastic. I want to read to you what one of Paul's experts said about Gracie's drawing specifically for law enforcement to see. He actually sent me a formal letter with a signature in order for us to use this in the case against Aaron Solomon. Quote, a former FBI investigator and also a child sexual abuse expert within the truth unlocked network have confirmed that the drawing by Gracie Solomon is a quote, high indicator that sexual abuse may have taken place and that the child should have been interviewed by a specialist child interviewer in child advocacy. If the alleged abuser is known, police should be contacted immediately, file a police report, as well as the Tennessee Department of Child Services, or DCS, end quote. And here is the actual analyzation of this drawing. Quote, I think this drawing is quite good. A bit simple for a 12-year-old, but sometimes they don't like what they are drawing, and they want to distance themselves from it, so they keep it simple to keep the amount of time they are doing it short. Obviously, this is a sexual drawing with the points of contact at the genital area. You can clearly see a line indicating a penis that goes through her. If the person was only rubbing himself, then why draw it going through, which she did? I would suspect that the child was penetrated. The child probably felt controlled due to the arm or the arms holding onto her. Notice, she has no arms. She probably felt helpless. They look to have shoes on, but it could be feet. If they are shoes, was this an opportunistic sexual abuse incident? Sexual acts from behind are not common knowledge of a 12 year old unless they have observed it. Maybe seen people having sex, videos, TV, porn, magazines, or experienced it somehow themselves. Also, the legs being bent by the child in the diagram is an unexpected detail, giving credibility to her as well. Were they laying down? Was she forced to bend while standing? If she was interviewed properly, I bet the child has sensory details to corroborate what she said happened. Usually, when traumatized, the child has a good memory of it, often stored in sensory memory how it felt, what she smelled at the time, cigarettes, alcohol, etc., what he said or how he breathed, how his skin felt if it was sweaty, and what it all felt like to her body. Also, I missed the bending of the body of the male showing thrusting. Noticed her body is rigidly straight. It probably hurt or made her feel scared or anxious. She was not relaxed as he was with all of his bending lines. End quote. That was just so hard to read, so tough, so disturbing and just triggering I also want to provide some context on why children might be asked to draw their experience of sexual abuse. So I've also linked this out in the episode notes, but it's from a Children's and Youth Services Review Journal, and I'm just going to read to you what it says about kids drawing their experience. Quote, "'Although children often lack appropriate words or the ability to pinpoint the effects they experience,' Some children find drawing to be a natural, accessible language they can use for emotional expression. An analyst of children's narratives before, during, and after drawing facilitated an assessment of the way in which drawing aided children's retrieval process. The discussion presents the contribution of using drawings when interviewing children about experiences of trauma, end quote. Okay, so for the meat of today's episode, I'm going to circle back to GCA's mishandlings of their former student, Gracie Solomon. In 2020, Gracie was granted a temporary restraining order against her father, Aaron Solomon, by the Williamson County Sheriff's Department. This was sent to the school on October 9th, 2020. And just so you can keep your timeline straight, I know this has been so much and we go back and forth a lot, but Grant had passed away a few months prior in July of 2020. And at this point, as you can imagine, Gracie is just terrified of her father. She also believed that her brother's death just didn't add up. And this had also been after years of reporting her alleged abuse to getting no help. Please remember the GCA recordings I previously played on this podcast were from two years prior in 2018. So by this time, October of 2020, Angie and Gracie were living with Angie's friend, Melanie Hicks. By October 14th, Just a mere six or seven days after the restraining order was granted against Aaron Solomon, Melanie Hicks contacted the Williamson County Sheriff's Office because Aaron Solomon had already broken the terms of the restraining order in many different ways. He texted Gracie, he left envelopes in Melanie's mailbox for Gracie, and this is my favorite, he made an appointment to see Gracie's pediatrician. To which the pediatrician actually blocked the event because he was also made aware of the restraining order and he actually contacted the police. And quick sidebar, I know that every family dynamic is different, but I'm just going to say this. I don't think my husband even knows our kid's pediatrician's name, let alone is he making appointments for our daughter? In my original interview with Angie Solomon, she had told me that Aaron insisted on taking Gracie to her pediatrician appointments. And you can find this information in the bonus episode that's titled Angie's Story. So yeah, in my opinion, that is just such odd behavior. But just going back to Aaron breaking the terms of the restraining order, he attended functions at the school and he attended sports games and he tweeted about them. So they had proof. However, little did Angie, Gracie, and Melanie know. A day prior to Melanie's email to the police, Aaron Solomon went to magistrate Jacques Cabell. You guys remember Cabell, right? He was the magistrate that Grant begged and pleaded with and said, please don't make me go back and live with my father. I'm terrified of him and what he could possibly do to my sister and I. And Cabell said, okay, you don't have to live with him. Then took a lunch break, came back and said, "Eh, Grant, you're over six feet tall. Your dad is a small guy. You can handle it. I'm obviously paraphrasing and making this my own language, but that's just a refresher. And you can go to the Freedom for Gracie website, also linked in the episode notes, to see Grant's happy face with his friend after getting the ruling initially that he didn't have to live with Aaron Solomon and then getting the disappointing news that he actually did have to go live with him after all. So yes, Aaron Solomon goes to Cabell, asks for GCA to be stricken from the restraining order, and Cabell adheres. Aaron Solomon is legally allowed to be on the campus of GCA, but he is not allowed to have contact with Gracie. Now, Gracie at this point is just terrified. He's legally allowed to be at her school. And I'm going to just go off for a minute with an opinion, and I guess a speculation, but have you met a father more obsessed with going to an elementary slash high school? He's not employed there at the time. I don't understand. And I'm so confused at why he wants to be on campus so badly. So now Gracie is terrified to come to school She doesn't want to go to school, she's not sleeping, she's riddled with anxiety, and because she's refusing to go to school, her pediatrician ends up writing a note to GCA asking them to excuse all of her absences as she's going to be doing her work online, but he also pretty much begs them to take the necessary precautions to keep her safe so she can return to school and have some normalcy. This letter from the pediatrician was written just about a week after Aaron asked for the restraining order to be updated. Now loosely in tandem with the letter from the pediatrician, Angie Solomon has a meeting with the school Because she also wants to ensure that her daughter is going to be safe and will have absolutely no contact with Aaron Solomon. She wants to know that Gracie will be protected and will also feel protected. So yes, before Gracie returns to school, Angie has this meeting with the principal just to go over Gracie's safety, some housekeeping issues like picture day, yada, yada. And then Angie sends a follow-up email recapping everything, and I'm going to read to you the school principal's response to Angie. Quote, Angie, it was good to visit with you yesterday. However, I wish it was under better circumstances. I did want to get back to you about your questions and requests. After our meeting yesterday, we received the updated court documents stating that Aaron can be on the GCA campus. However, he cannot have contact with Gracie. You asked if we could guarantee Gracie's safety while on school campus. We do have campus security, however, it is not set up for specific individuals. Unfortunately, that would require someone in security that would have to be with her at all times, and we do not have the resources available for any one student. At this time, It may be best to hold off on Gracie's school picture until you feel more comfortable. We can get them to come out again for the picture. As you already know, we love Gracie and your family. We always want the absolute best for her. We know this is and continues to be an incredibly difficult situation for you and Gracie, and the GCA community will be praying for you continually. By his grace, Suzanne, end quote. So this email was very disappointing to me and very unhelpful, to say the least. She doesn't offer... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical
1: study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. For any kind of workaround for Gracie or Angie, it was simply, no, sorry, we don't have the resources. I would hope when you pay money for a private school like this, they would at least try to find a workaround or two. So with Gracie's return to school, she was just riddled with anxiety. It got to the point where they eventually had to discuss a homeschool program for her. It was the stress of losing her brother and now feeling like no one could protect her from her father and she could potentially see him on campus at any moment. It was all just too much for her to bear. And if you recall on a previous episode, I interviewed one of Gracie's friends who told the story about Aaron being on campus and he was looking for Gracie and she said that she and Gracie saw him and they hid under the bleachers until he pretty much disappeared from their sight. So that is just insane in itself. But Gracie's friend told her mother, and her mother wrote an email to the school, essentially saying, get this guy off campus. I don't want him around my child either. And yet here we are 10 years later, and he's still welcomed at the school. I'm going to play you a small part of a recording from the meeting that Angie and Gracie had with the school in 2020 prior to her return. And... You're going to hear Gracie speak out, and it is just so sad. It's just so sad that throughout all these discussions over the years about her father and how terrified she is, not one faculty member at that school thought to themselves, you know what? This poor girl. I'm just going to go to the police once and for all. I can see that Angie Solomon is struggling because allegedly the police won't listen to her. And Gracie is clearly struggling because no one's listening to her. And no one did that. I'm still shocked. So how are you
1: feeling about, tell me. How are you feeling about school and all the things, um, Gracie? Well, so coming to school, honestly, I'm nervous. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Like, you know, like I heard that y'all were gonna like help and make it feel better. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but honestly, I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, yeah. what makes yeah. you nervous, Gracie? Um, well, dad himself. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. just him being here or okay. being on the campus. Yeah, or and like then that. like kind of like topics coming up. Okay, my like kids sure. like talking about it. Yeah, I mean, like. Like, about what's going on. So, right. really. mm-hmm. I don't really want to You don't want to talk about Grant. Right. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, if they talk about Grant or something. Well, that's what she might, wants. You know, it's it's exactly hard. hard, Like, like they, they want to talk about Grant, but she doesn't want to. But about, like, What's going on with that or anything? I, don't, I don't want know. to talk. About. Yeah, no, yeah, no, right. I totally understand. I totally get mm. that, and I don't want that either. For me yeah, you yeah. Either. And, I, and I know that ends up being awkward, and you don't. know. Or what the other doing. kids, because it just right. become. And kids are kids. Yes, kids are, are respectful, and they care, and they, know care, and and they and worry, and, then and they, they worry, worry. Yeah. and, and, and yes. then probably yeah. some of it is out of. I, probably, if I know most of most of the people here, they probably doing it more out of a concern, more rather than like being mean. I think, however. It's still not. Yeah. It still makes it awkward
0: for you. Yeah. Her sweet voice absolutely breaks my heart. It is so apparent that she is terrified to bump into her father at school. And she comes right out and she says it. Now I'm going to fast forward just to the end of the recording, the end of the meeting, where they ask Gracie if there's any other concerns that she has. What
1: else? Is there anything else that you. I mean... I don't know. I mean, really does that sound special? That, that sounds funny. know. Yeah. But I think my well, like body person will probably be Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She'll be with you. Yeah. And it's not Sydney. Yeah. So I'll like, let you know about the schedule. I'm going to go up there and look at it right after we get done. I know. It's like I'll a hour look, look, look at it. Yeah. 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 But are they in every class together, Sydney and Katie? The eighth yeah, grade does have a lot of variation. I know. They're like. Majority, Majority Okay. Okay. But you and Kate are on the same curriculum because I asked her that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And who who's in your classes that I know that part was a bit muffled and hard to hear, but what Gracie says is that she would prefer to have a quote unquote buddy with her at all times while she's at school. And it looks like this is the option that she's left with. Let me have a buddy. Let me have another 14-year-old girl with me at all times instead of an adult. I remain utterly confused as to why Aaron being at the school would be more important than the safety and well-being of a child, especially when that child has a restraining slash no contact order against him. This is just another example of GCA not acting appropriately in an incredibly sensitive and dangerous situation. Now, lastly for today, I want to read to you Angie Solomon's op-ed that she wrote for AnglicanWatch.com. I've also linked it in the episode notes as well. Now, Angie, she is a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ if I have ever met one. And I remember asking her one day, It was a day that she was having a particularly hard time, just missing Grant so much. And I couldn't help but ask her, are you ever angry with God just for this? And she said to me, through so much hurt and just so much pain, she said, no, I'm never angry. And that just really stuck with me. But make no mistake, she is well aware that quote-unquote Christians are the ones who have destroyed her life and her credibility for the last 10 years. So I think it's important that I read her words. My love and my faith in God has never wavered since I was seven years old, but my Christianity has been completely deconstructed over the last 11 years of my life. It has been Christians who have hurt us the most. Christians who are the most easily offended. Christians who don't like their opines challenged. Christians who are the quickest to take up arms against us. Christians who didn't and don't believe us. Christians who judged without coming to me to verify. Christians who assume. Christians who don't want to offend a fellow Christian by supporting us. Christians who look the other way, Christians who have threatened us, Christians who mocked and stoned me and turned deaf ears to my children's cries, Christians who create drama, Christians who still want to hold their judgments, Christians who want to pick and choose whose support we receive, Christians who attack our supporters in the name of their being offended, Christians who act with authority because they are, And not just Christians locally, but Christians all over, including Grant, Gracie, and my own blood family, both immediate and extended, all of them saved too. This realization was one of the most single, painful, and difficult acceptances of my life. July 2013. It was then that Christians, my own kind, who were killing us. Looking back, I had no idea then what Christians would go on to do. Christians not only in churches, but in the workplace, in the court system, in the school setting, in funeral settings, in hospitals, in medical offices, counseling offices. Everywhere the three of us touched ground, it was Christians carrying the axe. Grant, Gracie, and I did not and do not live that way, We fully depend on God. Our world has no gray. We're black and white. We carry no secrets and no silent tactics. We sit without judgment or condemnation. We shoot straight, requiring no pretense or guessing, and we love all. We believe that is the model Jesus demonstrated us to live by. We, however, cannot tell our story without telling the evil in the minds of and the pain delivered from Christians, Now, we are very blessed, as we do have and are loved by so many Christ followers in our world, as well as non-Christ followers, all walks of life and religious practice, and we are grateful for each and every one of you. Today, Gracie and I are completely enveloped with love and support just for being us, and if it is my job to sound the alarm on what has happened and is happening to Christians— I will gladly do so for him. I say with certainty that I recognize Christian nationalism in the memories of what they slash you did and are doing. It mimics and finds itself verbatim in our story, but I also recognize something even scarier, Christians who just aren't. Grant is no longer here, but the three of us clung to God daily and more deeply than anyone can ever imagine to survive. And Grant did, and Gracie and I do give all the glory for where we are and who we are to him. We will not reflect what has been reflected to us. We will love, and we will tell our story. It has been shown over and over that it is the Christians who would require us to fight with a certain mantle, or none at all, or else. As for their judgment and error of me in the past, all I would say is, I remember it all. To the very day, hour, and minute, where I was, what it smelled like, what you had on, I remember you, and I remember what you did. I've had a lot of time to watch and study you, and I did. Also, the great irony for religious groups in this state to cry, politics, as in the highest levels of our government, Christians have made politics and Christianity one. Otherwise, opinions to yourself. Our mission is greater, but this topic is one. If not the greatest, God being the greatest of all, he never fails, and Christ came to love and be persecuted, not to love and persecute. If the single greatest mistake I've made in my life is to think everyone loves the way I do, then so be it. I will still love. Gracie and I both will. Whew. So I've read that about six or seven times now, and each time I cannot get through it without crying. This has been a really emotional episode today, but I want to thank everyone for sticking with this podcast and sticking by us and for all of your support. So I'll be back next week with another episode of Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon. Thanks for listening.